From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. It, you know, it doesn't feel like Christmas yet up here in the Great White North. It's not so white, at least in uh, Toronto. It's raining and mild, about 6 degrees, uh, which is uh, 46, 47 degrees Fahrenheit, I figure. However, uh, we did have lunch with Santa Claus today. Uh, at least uh, Zachary and I did up at uh, St. Nicholas Church. And poor little Northy missed out. He was at home with a fever. However, uh, North and, uh, and Zach received iPods uh, for their birthday last month. And uh, so North was able to actually uh, FaceTime with Santa <laughs> and uh, tell him what he wanted for Christmas. Isn't technology wonderful? Uh, Zach, are now, Zach and North are now uh, eight uh, and still believe in Santa Claus. And I think it's wonderful that uh, my little guys haven't lost their sense of wonder and innocence. Uh, mind you, this may be, I'm figuring, the last year where they'll truly believe. So I'm going to start Christmas uh, early and hold on to it as long as I possibly can. I, I mentioned North and St. Nick on FaceTime this afternoon and how wonderful technology is. We're doing another Hangout on air tonight, this morning. So if you want to catch the live stream on YouTube... Uh, just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett. Let me spell the last name for you. I've been in this business for 20 years, and I've, uh, I'm still spelling, 25 years, still spelling my last name on air. However, it's S-Y-R-E-T-T, Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. That'll get you to the uh, the Twitter feed, and just click on the link there. It's right at the top of the Twitter feed. And hey, while you're there, be sure to follow. Uh, so... You can watch and you can listen to the show. Remember Ebola? Yeah, it's it's still out there. It's still a very grim situation. And just because it's no longer front and center on Anderson Cooper 360 uh, doesn't mean that Ebola uh, has somehow resolved itself. Far from it, in fact. Uh, Ebola cases now exceed 16,000 worldwide. That's according to the World Health Organization. Nearly 7,000 people have died. And Sierra Leone is in desperate need of, of more beds. Because, in fact, Sierra Leone is, is bearing the brunt of this, uh, it's now eight, month, eight months old, this outbreak. The other uh, countries, Liberia, Guinea, the rates there, the Ebola rates there, are apparently stabilizing and declining. But in Sierra Leone, they are soaring. The country's been reporting around 400 to 500 new cases each week for the last several weeks. And two months ago, WHO launched a, an ambitious plan to stop the deadly Ebola outbreak in West Africa. They wanted to isolate 70% of the sick and to have 70% safe burials in the uh, three hardest-hit countries, Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone, by December 1. Well, only Guinea is on track to meet that deadline, according to uh, an update from the World Health Organization. In Liberia, only 23% of the cases are isolated, and 26% of the needed burial teams are in place. Sierra Leone, about 40% of the cases are isolated. So the the target late, uh, date uh, is now here and gone. And again, it looks almost certain that whose goals will be missed, marking another failure in an attempt to uh, slow the biggest ever outbreak of the deadly disease. 
Now, meanwhile, there's another story that's been placed on the back burner, although it continues to rage, and of course that's ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. This rampaging uh, army of radical Sunni Muslim terrorists that are murdering, beheading, raping, kidnapping, pillaging anyone and anything that gets in their way. A word out of Baghdad is that Iraq's financial sector, already on its uh, deathbed, is facing a recession, not surprisingly, because of the war between the country's security forces, such as they are, and the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant, ISIL, Their fighters have seized one-third of Iraq's territory and displaced up to two million Iraqis. Experts say the massive deterioration in the country's overall security situation and ongoing instability in Baghdad have particularly impacted the country's financial sector. The sector is comprised of 55 banks, of which 32 are private sector enterprises, seven government-owned, 16 international players, and an additional 49 separate investment in other financial firms round out the list. Meanwhile, in Syria, some good news of sorts in terms of the efforts to slow or stop ISIL's progress. A human rights group there says ISIL has suffered heavy losses uh, in Syria's Koban or Kobani, where at least 50 fighters were killed in the past 24 hours in fighting and U.S.-led airstrikes. So, Ebola terrorism. What if, imagine, what if these two threats were to converge into one? For example, what if a a suicide or a suicidal terrorist infected with the Ebola virus were to slip into some large urban center in North America and blow him or herself up? Or, of course, the the virus could also be released more subtly. Terrorists could collect samples of infected body fluids and then place them on doorknobs, handrails, or airplane tray tables, allowing Ebola to spread quietly before officials even realize that a biological attack has taken place. Well, that grim scenario is where we're headed for the duration of this hour on The Conspiracy Show with my guest, Dan Perkins is a master storyteller and author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy, which centers around Islamic nuclear terrorism against the United States, but he's also a nationally recognized expert on radical terrorism. Dan, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me on. A pleasure. By the way, I want to tell you, I'm 69 years old, and I still believe in Santa Claus. Well, God bless you. God bless you. Yes, there is. Virginia. Now, I want to. I want with that happy note. I want to add one more item to your list of things. All right. It's not that not, that's not being talked about. Please, America. I believe this to be true. America is being attacked again, and it's being attacked by the Saudis and the rest of OPEC. Last Thursday, while Americans were having their Thanksgiving dinners, OPEC decided not to cut production of crude oil in the Middle East, therefore dropping the price of crude oil, American crude oil, by almost $8 a barrel in one day. Now, the implication to that is is that when I said they're being attacked, It is clear based on press reports that I have seen over this weekend 
that Saudi Arabia and the rest of the partners in OPEC are bombarding the United States and the world markets with oil. And they have said specifically to stop both the United States and Canada from developing their oil alternative resources, whether it's shale oil and tar sands from Canada, whether it's natural gas and oil from the Dakotas and Texas, whether it's solar panels, whether it's wind energy, they are clearly, OPEC is clearly attacking the United States and Canada to stop the development of energy. Right now, the world, um, the International Energy Organization has estimated that in your country, the reserves in the oil and tar sands in your country are greater than the reserves in Saudi Arabia. That's true. That's true, but we need that oil about, I believe it's up around at least $85, $87 a barrel before we can pull it out of the ground and make a profit. OPEC needs $90 a barrel as a, as a, as a cartel to break even. Saudi Arabia needs 85 And so they're losing money. They're, the OPEC is losing big money. When, and today, crude oil this morning... Uh, is trading and it's trading at sixty four dollars, so it's down uh, another two and a half dollars since Friday's close. But the Saudis don't really care, and OPEC doesn't really care how much money they lose, except that some of the OPEC nations who are part of the cartel that are are desperately wanting the production level to be cut to raise the price because they're losing money are now having to touch their sovereign wealth funds in order to be able to survive. So we are at an all-out attack, and I'm beginning to wonder if there is a relationship between OPEC and ISIL, that the world energy producers are, in fact, leading the charge for ISIL economically to disincentivize Americans and Canadians to find alternatives and to become totally energy independent. Now, I understand your your comment about 85, 90, and my comment about 90, but, but we're now dealing with a political issue, a security issue, where the countries <clears throat> that started OPEC in, and caused in 1975 the United States to go into an oil crisis to the point that, <clears throat> because I'm old enough, I remember the rationing lines in, this, in, in New Jersey where I was living at the time, where you got, you got gasoline based on either your house number or your driver's license number or your last name, they're, they're seeing what's happening is the change that has taken place in, in Canada and the United States. The, the Green River Valley area of the United States, out in the mountains, which is primarily public land, the geologists have estimated has more reserves of oil in that one spot than all the reported reserves in the rest of the world. Period. Sure, there is there is no reason why the United States, uh, and I believe it. I mean, it has, as you say, it has the reserves. It should be the number one energy producer in the world. It should be energy independent. But somehow, uh, you know, we gave away the store. I don't know. Was it in exchange for the Saudis buying U.S. debt? We, we, we're coming up on a break here, Dan. Uh, we could okay. spend three hours just talking about this, but I, I do want to 
uh, steer it back to a bowl if we can. Sure. When we Absolutely. come back, and uh, we'll dial it all the way back to uh, 2001 and a, uh, mm-hmm. a national security exercise called Dark Winter. Dan Perkins is with yeah. us, master storyteller, author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile trilogy, as we discuss Ebola and radical Islam. Right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Dan Perkins is with us, master storyteller, author of the Brotherhood of the Red Nile trilogy, which centers around Islamic nuclear terrorism. But now we're talking about, uh, well, the, the world has, uh, of course, this ongoing uh, outbreak of Ebola, and uh, at the same time, the Islamist radicalism that's going on in the, in the Middle East. What if these two threats were to converge into one? Now, Dan, you talk about uh, uh, this exercise, uh, this uh, national security exercise, back in 2001, the summer of 2001, mm-hmm. called Dark Winter. What was that right. all about? That was a, uh, well... The the scenario, some people don't believe it ever actually happened. Some people believe that it did. But it was basically um, an attack in the United States in various areas uh, with chemical and biological agents, and it was trying to determine uh, what would happen to America in the event of that kind of a kind of an attack. Um, as I said, some people believe it never really happened. Some people believe that it did happen. Uh, and there are lots of different stories about, you know, what was tested, what wasn't tested, how did it do. Um, this was a simulated, it, a simulated biological attack. Yes, it was It was simulated. Um, but there are some people who think that maybe it was a cover-up for something else going on. Um, I'm I'm not into that kind of situation. I... I I, but but what happened is that um, they discovered in the simulation how vulnerable we were and are as a nation. Um, I tried to do exactly the same thing in my first book in the trilogy, is to try and, and help people understand four different scenarios of how we might be attacked. Um, and a lot of people who've read book one and then looking at the four scenarios, um, uh, get scared because they seem so realistic. You're also raising a a very, uh, I've had a lot of people ask me about the scenario that you're talking about, the combination of ISIL and Ebola. Um, I I believe that we have to, um, we, we as authors have to do a lot of research to try and figure things out, especially when we're dealing with fiction, to try and make it as real as possible. And I always start by asking myself a question. You know, and, and in your situation, if how, how can I combine Ebola and ISIL? And, and I've been talking about this for most of the summer, sometimes as many as four or five times a day, about my observations of how the terrorists could possibly use uh, Ebola, and you, you you gave a couple of illustrations which were certainly valid early on in the program, but I think there there are other possible scenarios, um, not so much like the dark winter scenario, but um, 
the reality is if you step back and you take a look at some things, you begin to understand how there's a structure in place that could make it very easy for ISIL to combine uh, human carriers with uh, the Ebola virus. Um, I don't know to what extent you've traveled overseas into Europe in the last uh, year or so, uh, or actually longer than that. Um, when the EU came into play, uh, and as the countries began to dissolve their borders and create a, a an European Union passport and 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 uh, immigration control, um, if you go into London or Paris, for example, if you're flying in and you have an EU passport, you don't go through uh, border control. You just walk through the sign that says the EU. That's right. Once you um, land in Europe, you've got it's pretty well carte blanche. Right. And so if you follow what's going on, I was in, my wife and I were in Paris just about a year ago this time, um, and you see the uprising in, in Paris with the Muslims who are complaining, 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 protesting. The same thing is going on in England and in Ireland. And these countries are now beginning to be concerned that they're losing their identity because of the influx of the Muslim population and the activity of the Muslim populations in these in these countries that I just mentioned. Um, I, I haven't seen any results yet. Switzerland this weekend is actually having a public referendum on whether or not they should limit the number of foreign nationals coming into the into this country of Switzerland taking up residency, because they say under this voting uh, process that they believe that they're losing control of their culture and their history and their country. So I, I think that what's different this time about the ISIL and, let's say, al-Qaeda, uh, is that ISIL is much more sophisticated. They have a much better sense of technology, social media, but they have a huge network of, of mosques all over the world, in Europe and in the United States, a number of mosques, since September the 11th attack, have almost doubled in the United States. Uh, I believe that the likely scenario is that they will, the leadership will appeal to a certain number of people, we're, we're going to call them followers, believers, whatever you want to say, who will agree to go into France, England, wherever, through the EU passport, will become infected, knowing that they're going to die, and that their mission is to go through the EU into the United States. By doing that, they skirt the passport control issues that the United States has put in place uh, because they're not coming from West African countries. These are Muslims, active, radical Muslims in these countries who are living and residing there, and they're coming from them. They're going to be infected. They're going to come into the United States, and I believe whether they're going to blow themselves up and spread the virus or just come in contact with people. Um, they're, they're going to use, I believe it's the potential that ISIL can use the Ebola virus as a new weapon, not ballistic, but human, and they will find many believers who are willing to give up their lives for Allah and come to the United States, Canada, and wherever they're, they're ordered to go, to attack those countries. I, I saw 
you were talking in a few moments ago, you were talking about the uh, Ebola in Sierra Leone. Again, I don't know whether you saw it, but there was a report this week that the burial details in Sierra Leone were striking for more pay. And what they were doing was basically dumping the bodies in the street that were supposed to be buried. So there's going to be plenty of virus to get their hands on, whether they come into the United States through Europe, through a country where the people are already living there and who have decided they are willing to make the sacrifice for Allah and for the for the cause. Um, I, I think there is a great possibility that because it's not in the headlines does not mean they're not thinking about it. And do we know about, uh, are there any intelligence reports about the presence of ISIL in West Africa? We tend to think of ISIL as being sort of limited to Iraq, Syria, the Levant, in other words. Um, interesting. <laughs> let me, let me, let me, great question, by the way. Uh, would, would, would you be surprised if I told you that our border patrol reported through the southern border that 1,100 Chinese were detained? Would you be surprised if I told you that hundreds of Syrians, hundreds of Iranians, Iraqis came through the southern border of the United States and were and were captured, that North Koreans were coming through the southern border of the United States? I, we've heard those How reports, but they, some of those have been dismissed as apocryphal. You're saying that this is this is actually – I mean, where is this information coming from, Dan? Let me it's ask. coming from the Border Control who reports on a regular basis the nationalities of the people that are physically stopped and detained at the American border. That comes from the U.S. Border Control. That's not fictitious. That's a Border Patrol report. Now, why would 1,100 Chinese be coming, coming – through, or Chinese, or Syrians, or Iranians, or Iraqis, or Palestinians, why would they be coming through into the United States through the Mexican border? Or maybe a better question to ask is, with those people from China, North Korea, and all those Middle Eastern countries coming up through Mexico, are they here for no good? Some, Why would they cross? some of them, perhaps. Well, they some cross there because that's the place to come. Because there's 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 virtually no border there. But all these countries, all these people coming from all over the world, are they all coming because they want to get into the United States, along with the Central and South American Spanish-speaking people? Well, perhaps, but it only takes one uh, one you know wishing ill will of no matter what uh, what what race or or uh, you know nationality, uh, but. I guess I, back to my my central question about about ISIL, uh, and do we know about their presence in in countries like Sierra Leone or Guinea or Liberia? Are they active there? Do they have cells there? I have to believe that any place where there is the Muslim faith, and it's all over the world, you have people who are supposedly what we call we're, we our American media has adopted as being radical. There are. Muslims who believe that what ISIL believes, and there may be leaders from ISIL. I mean, in my own country, Richard, there are people who do not want to believe that people, Americans, are converting their names to, to Muslim, uh, Islamic names from mosques and are leaving to go over to the Middle East to fight to kill Americans. It's happening here, too. Oh, I know it is. 
And, and, and so we, we ask ourselves somewhat rhetorically, do we know if there are people in Sierra Leone and, and, the, and the other countries? Um, how can we afford or dare we assume that they're not? Good point. If you're Excellent looking, point. If you're looking to preserve and try and protect your country, whether it be Canada or the United States, if you don't believe, um, unfortunately for us, we have a lot of politicians who don't. If you don't believe that if somebody has threatened and says, we are going to put the Islamic flag on the White House in the United States, then you have to understand that they will try any means whatsoever to get into the United States and any means to destroy America or Canada, regardless of where it comes from. And so the idea that to, to assume that there are no ISIL operatives in, the, in, in West Africa is folly. So let's go back to that the dark winter scenario because it's pretty stark. And in this simulation, uh, back in 2001, and this was uh, uh, a bunch of national security experts that gathered at Andrews Air Force Base, and it was hosted yes. by the John Hopkins Center. Uh, so mm -hmm. in the simulation, you had a thousand people supposedly infected, 300 die. Mm -hmm. So according to this exercise, and, and ostensibly I believe it was, they were talking about smallpox as, as, the, as the biological agent, and right. hospitals, of course, were reporting that they were grossly inadequate, uh, there were grossly inadequate supplies and insufficient isolation rooms. Uh, now, what's sort of the difference then between, draw the contrast, it's pretty stark, between smallpox and, let's say, Ebola? Well... That's a that's another great question. Uh, the, the problem that you have with smallpox under the dark winter scenario is that they also found that they didn't have there wasn't enough available vaccine to inoculate the population uh, with, against smallpox. Now that's kind of this is this is kind of a very interesting twist that you're raising here because in in, in at least my interpretation of dark winter was really to be not a national security test, but a test of the medical system coming from Johns Hopkins of how we would do with how, how the medical system in the United States would deal with this problem. I don't think it was intended ever to be a, a, uh, a strategic or a military review of possible vulnerabilities from a strategic or military standpoint, uh, I think it was really to test the validity of the of the American medical system. But but here here's my my what's happened that's caused this whole thing to turn. Let me just get you. To, dark, let me just get you to hold on to that, Dan, because we're coming up on a break here. Sure. When we come back on the other side, we'll 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 talk about uh, the difference between smallpox and Ebola. Of course, there was or is a vaccine for smallpox. <laughs> Uh, none such exists, as far as we know, uh, for Ebola. Is it right. possible that these two threats, ISIL and Ebola, could converge into one grim threat? Back with more of my conversation with Dan Perkins right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Exploring theories, uncovering facts, and offering a different view of the universe. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Welcome back. Dan Perkins stays with us, the author of The Brotherhood of the Red Nile Trilogy. And we're talking about the uh, potential for the, uh, the, the twin threats of uh, Ebola and uh, ISIL converging into one threat. Imagine a scenario, for example, where uh, a, a terrorist, a suicidal terrorist infected with Ebola... Uh, makes his way or her way into a, a major urban center in North America uh, and does uh, one of two things. Uh, 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 blows themselves up in a crowded place, of course, causing uh, a huge potential for infection, or, or in a more subtle uh, scenario, simply uh, spreads the uh, the virus via, via doorknobs and handrails, etc. Uh, either way, a pretty grim scenario and uh, we were talking about uh, Dark Winter, where the U.S. Uh, simulated uh, a biological outbreak in the United States back in 2001. In that case, the scenario involved uh, involved smallpox. Uh, and it seems to me, though, that that the, the 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 danger of this weapon, far more than the infection itself, Dan, is the panic that ensues and the breakdown in. In, 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 in law and order and, and, and the fear and so forth, uh, which would disrupt yeah. food supplies and all of these things. I mean, it doesn't require, right. you know, a number of clusters of outbreak. It just requires panic. That's what terrorists do. They create fear. They operate on fear, uncertainty, and panic. And, and, and that's why the likelihood of them coming together. Um, I would like to add a third scenario to your two scenarios of how it could be spread. Yes. If if you understand that I believe that there that there are ISIS terrorists already here in the United States, I, I believe, and um, I, I, I'm not trying to scare people. My job as an author is to think about what ifs, and when I've been asked to think about what ifs with the combination of ISIL and Ebola. Um, everybody understands that the that the the way the disease is currently passed, assuming no mutations, is through bodily fluids. And so your two, first two scenarios create scenarios by which they can they can distribute bodily fluids on a limited scale basis. Okay. Right. Uh, but I've got another scenario, and that is that they infect people that come into the into Canada or the United States, and they let them die, and they dump their bodies in the water reservoirs. Oh dear! Oh my! Didn't think about that one, huh? Uh, I didn't, and I'm not sure whether <laughs> I. It's a good thing that you did or didn't. I mean, did you worry that you're some? I mean. If you're thinking about these things, obviously others are. But do you do you ever wonder whether you should, I don't know, broadcast it? Think about giving these ideas out, uh, putting these ideas out there. I, I would say to you that, that that was early on when my first book came out. People would say to me as I would travel around the country and do interviews on the radio like this with you. Well, are you are you giving the terrorist ideas? <clears throat> and I said, as it relates to book one. Um, I simply uh, selected things that seemed obvious to me of vulnerabilities. And uh, I, I built my scenarios around those four various uh, possibilities. There could have probably been eight or 20 or 50 possibilities. 
I believe that these are not <clears throat> dumb people. These are people who are thinking about all the possibilities. Um, and and if you understand that, as you said just before the break, while we have a <clears throat> a vaccine for smallpox, <clears throat> there is no vaccine for Ebola. It is basically isolation and letting uh, the controlled exposure um, feed upon itself to the point that there's nothing left uh, to spread it and keeping people isolated. And um, But <clears throat> it is a disease that is spread through bodily fluids. And, and I, I looked at that and I say, what is not being talked about? See, you maybe don't have the problem that we have in the United States. Um, our media most of the time is not truthful, I believe, when it speaks to the the majority of Americans. There are many, many examples of where they've they have supported the president and misled people. Um, they've doctored stories. That their credibility, in my opinion, is is diminished dramatically, especially the, the major networks, because they've all been convicted of doctoring evidence and doctoring the truth to to a further an agenda. So <clears throat> uh, what they're not telling us is almost as important as this, if not more important than what they're telling us. Absolutely. We'll, um, we'll pick up on that at point. This was a short segment. Sorry, Dan. We'll pick up on that point when we come back. I mean, there have been a number of celebrated cases where uh, celebrated uh, reporters have come forward and, 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 and said as much, that they were being uh, censored and censured. Uh, we'll come back with Dan Perkins and discuss the twin threats of Ebola and terrorism. Oh, what a dark winter it could be. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Uh, next week on the program, rock and roll investigator R. Gary Patterson will be here as we uh, commemorate the 34th uh, anniversary of the uh, the death of former Beatle John Lennon. Dan Perkins stays with us as we discuss the twin threats of Ebola and uh, terrorism. Now, if you go to the uh, the website richardserrett.com and uh, this week on The Conspiracy Show, you'll see Dan's name right there at the top. Just click on Dan's name and that'll take you to his website, which is danperkins at sanibel.com that's s-a-n-i-b-e-l.com dan perkins at sanibel.com but just go to my website and click on his name and we've linked up to his website uh so dan we were talking about the the media uh and how uh, uh in so many cases they just seem to roll over and play dead when the you know when when issues that matter um mm-hmm. you know are should be front and center now right what what uh, what is going on in terms of the travel ban in the United States? I mean, it took till late October before in the United States they finally decided, okay, anyone from traveling from West Africa can only go through certain U.S. airports that have screening facilities in place. I mean, why not just right. an out-and-out ban? Why not just because an out-and-out was, travel ban? Because it was because it was politically motivated. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be critical here okay i just i just want to illustrate the point that you're talking about the president of the united states at the height of the wave of the ebola infection in the united states at least at this moment in time decided after a lot of conservative radio and television people 
suggested that we needed to have an Ebola czar. Do you remember that? Yes. Did you ever, ever see or hear of anything the Ebola czar did? Can't name anything off the top of my head, Dan. No, there's nothing. Did the American media, in, in the mainstream media, say anything about the fact that this person was and they had a, was going to be the Ebola czar, was selected by the president, was introduced, and then disappeared, and nobody knows if he did anything. But the media didn't question that. So here we had a nation that, as you said earlier, was somewhat in panic. The president is pressured by the American public to do something. So then he has this, this five West Coast or East Coast cities you got to fly into. He didn't ban all of them, all traffic coming from West Western Africa. And I thought it was absolutely amazing to listen to people from the administration, and and more specific, specifically, the the gentleman who was in charge of the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta, saying that it would be economically devastating to those West African, those five West African countries. If the United States put a travel ban for anybody coming from those countries. Now, I, you know, I listened to that and my, again, my author inquisitive nature went in and began to look at the gross domestic product of those five countries. The aggregate gross domestic product of the five countries with the Ebola virus were less than half of the gross domestic product, the gross gross domestic product of the state of New Jersey. But the administration was saying this is this is what we should be doing. We should be protecting their economy. Um, there was a discuss of there was maybe as many as 150 people a day traveling from those West African countries in the United States, and it would be devastating for their economy. And nobody in the press said, are you kidding me? Like they didn't do their homework. Nobody said anything about it. They just accepted it that that was what it's going to be. I, I, I need to ask you a question. I know we don't have a lot of time. I am absolutely fascinated with your, from what I could hear, I didn't see, but hear your response to my third scenario. It was, well, it you, was pretty grim, throwing a body into a water reservoir. I mean, that's just... More than one. Right. More than one. And, and more than one reservoir. What surprised you about that? I mean, you said it was grim, but was it so unrealistic as not being possible? I guess that's that. That's what shocked me is that it suddenly dawned on me. You know, it's it's like in in plain sight. I mean, why didn't I think of that? And have they thought of that? And it seems so obvious. If you want to infect, you know, <laughs> millions of people. That's what you would do. That's precisely what you would do. You would throw a body infected with the Ebola virus into a water reservoir, infect the public mm -hmm. drinking system. I mean, that's right. just uh, a nightmare scenario. Right. And, and, and maybe maybe some of the chemicals that they use in the waters would, would treat the virus. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. All I'm saying is, again, if ISIL were to say that they were going to, to dump bodies in in, in water supplies, again, panic. Is my water safe? 
they they don't even have to and, do it. Just I mean, <laughs> threaten to do it or exactly, exactly. It's so, so, but that's how terrorism works. And so I think that we are we have underestimated these people from the very beginning. Uh, they are the, the the level of terrorism in the world in many different places. Uh, we, we not you, not Canada, the United States. Our presently, our president personally decided that Gaddafi needed to be taken out in Libya, and he needed we needed a regime change there. Now the terrorists absolutely control the country. That country is under anarchy, under control of terrorists in in the in 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 that part of the world. Nobody's talking about it. You know, Nobody I know you're not a conspiracy about- theorist, Dan, but if, you know, <laughs> I'm sitting back listening to this and thinking and, and over the, you know, the, the throughout the Arabs, the so-called Arab Spring, thinking, my gosh, that's exactly what they wanted to happen. If they couldn't have planned for it any better, that, that uh, you know, you could say, oh, they were just being inept. I don't think so. I mean, time after time, this is what happens. Uh, you get rid of someone uh, who we perceive as sort of, you know, the boogeyman. Uh, who turns out to be really a bulwark against a lot of this, uh, you know, Gaddafi right. was a, a thug, no question. Um, yeah. but wouldn't... But he gave up his nuclear weapons. Yes, yes. I mean, wouldn't we all be better off if Gaddafi was still in Libya, including many Libyans, where they, where they had no, running no water and free education and free housing and free dental and... Right, right. And, and so the, the point is that we have a regime in the Middle East I I said to people that I believe that the that the swagger of ISIL was born the day the president of the United States drew the line in the sand in Syria and then did nothing. At that moment in time, he released the evil power of ISIL on the Middle East and potentially the entire world. And if you look at what he's trying to do, uh, I, I heard one of the news reports uh, where they were uh, they were reporting the Syrians are reporting that there were fifty killed, fifty killed, and that was and that is a pittance to the number of people that are fighting on on with ISIL in Syria. So it's you know it's again it's it's an issue of how 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 is it being reported. I I think because it, again I I I've been to your beautiful country a number of times only as a tourist. Um I I have grave concerns that we have a, an attitude in the United States. If it's not in the headlines it's forgotten. No question. And until no it comes, question. Until yeah. it comes back in the headlines it's the reason why I believe that the president basically um, his party lost the midterm elections because he did not have his eye on the ball as it relates to the two two subjects that we're talking about, ISIL and Ebola. And the American people didn't feel safe and showed that in the polls, that the president was really trying to protect them, which is part of his responsibility in his oath of office of president. And that's when they couldn't trust the president and they couldn't trust anybody that de- what the Democrats were saying. And that's why there was such a huge landslide victory, I believe, is that they're looking for somebody to trust. And if it's not in the news, then the Democrats and the leadership of the, of the American 
uh, Democratic Party. It's not in the news. Not a problem. Since you've been talking yeah. about these two threats coming together, terrorism and Ebola, uh, and yeah. some of these grim scenarios that, that, you're, that you're, you're painting here, have you been uh, contacted by any of the alphabet agencies saying, what, what do you hear, what do you know, Dan? Why are you linking these two? And, and uh, uh, I mean, have they shown any um, interest? No, I, I, they haven't. In fact, let me tell you a, a quick story. I did an interview in Washington, D.C., uh, about three months after the book one came out. And a, the reporter, he asked me the same question. He said, you know, I just thought about this. I remember a few years ago seeing a request for proposal, which I know means something different in Canada, but in the United States, they're looking for people to bid on a contract being let by the Defense Department. The specific contract that was being let was they wanted to hire fiction writers like myself to create scenarios for the Defense Department so that they could build strategies against it. And they and they apparently said in their RFP, when people were responding to it, that we don't have the creative staff, the creative people that, uh, that can help us create these scenarios, whether they're realistic or not, something that we can react to. So the answer to your question, from book one, with the four scenarios of where they would use nuclear weapons to attack the United States, to what's going on, no. None of the alphabet agencies have contacted me. So they've admitted, the Defense Department has admitted, the people that are charged with protecting the citizens of the United States, they don't have the wherewithal to figure out that terrorists could, for example... Uh, infect themselves with Ebola, blow themselves up in a mall, or dump a body of someone who succumbed to Ebola into the water supply. They can't figure that out. That does not leave me, or I'm guessing anyone listening, with a great deal of confidence. Dan, I uh, really well, appreciate your time tonight. Thank you for this. You, uh, this is dire. This is dire. I hope we can talk again. Thank Dan. you for having me on. And your listeners can get my book uh, on the website, or they can get it from Amazon, and they can get an audio for book one, uh, paperback, hard copy, hard copy, and ebook. And uh, audio for book two will be out shortly, and book three will be published later this month, if not the first week of January. And thanks again for having me on your show, Dan Perkins. My pleasure. Thank you, Dan Perkins at sanibel s-a-n-i-b-e-l dot com or just go to richardsarrett.com and click on Dan's name we've linked up to his website my website again richardsarrett.com say hello on twitter at richardsarrett and as always follow the truth <laughs>